My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. social movements who are just regular community members into different social movements. What I did learn, though, is that the issues of capacity are just really important. That's the voice of Andrew Wincher, today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Wincher is the director of a project called the Parkdale Free School. Parkdale is a neighborhood in the west downtown core of Toronto. The northern part of the neighborhood began gentrifying as far back as the 1980s, and today is predominantly middle class. The southern part of the neighborhood, however, though gentrification has intensified considerably in the last decade, remains one of the few areas in the core of Canada's largest city that's still home to predominantly poor and working-class people, including many immigrants. For decades, Parkdale has also been home to both lots of funded agency-based projects and plenty of more grassroots initiatives as well. For a long time, one hub for both sorts of work has been the Parkdale Activity Recreation Centre, or PARC. In 2010, a research project commissioned by PARC resulted in a community economic development initiative called the Parkdale People's Economy, one element of which is the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust. Run by residents, the Land Trust's goal is to obtain land, take it out of the private market, and use it in various ways in the interests of residents, particularly poor and working-class residents. He doesn't anymore, but at the time, Wincher lived in Parkdale and was involved in the Land Trust. He has a history of involvement in anarchist politics and in a range of social movements, and he also has a particular interest in radical pedagogy and popular education. He had been involved in a different free school project years before, and when he did a master's degree in environmental studies at York University, he focused his work on popular education for social change. In 2018, Wincher was chair of the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust's Communications and Community Engagement Committee. Each year, that committee would take on a new major project. Given his history, when one of the committee's very active members suggested that they start a free school, Wincher was strongly in favor. They started by developing a clear vision and set of values to guide the work of the school and provide a basis for accountability. The vision and values were strongly anti-authoritarian, justice-focused, and anti-oppressive. They developed a basic picture of how the practical side of classes would work. Outreach was not a problem, given that the land trust was already strongly embedded in existing networks in the neighborhood, and they designed a few initial classes that they could offer, and put together some resources to help folks who had never done any teaching before design their own classes. Wincher says that at the start, he had two complementary but distinct visions for the kinds of education that might happen at the Parkdale Free School. One was very much about creating a space for grassroots groups and movement organizations in the city to engage with Parkdale residents. This has happened to an extent, but not as much as he had hoped. Activists and organizers from the city's social movements have been interested in principle, but most have just not had the time or energy to spare to do it. 
The other vision, the one that's proven to be more successful, was of community members educating each other about whatever they happened to be interested in. It's not quite as simple as that. Despite efforts to counter this, people from the middle-class northern part of the neighborhood remain overrepresented both in offering classes and in taking them. But the mixture of a broad and quirky mix of topics, with significant success in creating learning spaces shaped in non-trivial ways, not just by facilitators, but by learners sharing their voices and experiences, has resulted in an approach to learning that Wincher regards as very much liberatory. Courses offered by the school so far have included Israel-Palestine 101 by members of Independent Jewish Voices, a course on repairing your own devices and on the politics of the right to repair, radical land stewardship, yoga, unpacking masculinity and patriarchy, housing activism, community planning, bird life in Toronto, and lots more. Things have slowed down considerably during COVID, but they're looking forward to a return to in-person learning in the not-too-distant future. I speak with Wincher about popular education, radical pedagogy, and the Parkdale Free School. My name is Andrew Wincher. I'm the director of the Parkdale Free School, which is a grassroots initiative to allow community members to share their knowledge and lived experience in a safe, inclusive, and anti-oppressive setting. My political background is in anarchist politics. Once I got back to Toronto in early 2012, I was really interested in a free school that had been getting going for a few months by that point and just saw how I could get involved. It was not too successful, but I made some lasting friendships out of even that experience. And it just kept me so interested in the idea of radical education and that really intensive work of just introducing people to radical ideas, social justice, organizing in general. I got involved in Upping the Ante, which is an anti-capitalist social justice journal based here in Toronto for a while. And then during my master's at York University from 2014 to 2016, I did a lot of work on popular education for social change. So coming out of that experience, I was really excited at the opportunity to get involved in another free school that could really allow for that very participatory, immersive type of education. Tell the listeners a bit about Parkdale. Parkdale is located in the west downtown core of Toronto. It's a very unique neighborhood. It's becoming less and less so even during COVID, but it was one of the last bastions of immigrant landing pads in the downtown core of Toronto. Because of its history of redevelopment, which in the southern edge of the neighborhood had led to a lot of inexpensive housing stock. It was still a place where a lot of immigrants could land. It was also the home of a lot of psychiatric survivors who had come to the neighborhood after the deinstitutionalization of CAMH. Uh, that's the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. In the 1970s, and it made their home there. So it's a neighborhood with a really rich history of working class identity, immigrant identity, and especially when I moved there, which would have been in 2012, it was already a place that had gone through several waves of gentrification. But at that point, a lot of that gentrification had been focused on its northern part. That part of the neighborhood had been gentrified starting in the 1980s. When I came to the neighborhood, gentrification was really starting on the southern end of the neighborhood. South of Queen Street, 45% of the residents live below the low-income cutoff line compared to 25% or something like that in the rest of Toronto. 91% of the housing stock is rented. It's a huge lending path for Tibetan immigrants, Tagalog speakers, Spanish speakers, Vietnamese speakers, Tamil speakers. 
So it's a real dividing line in terms of the experience of residents of Parkdale South and North of that dividing line. That's starting to change now because huge corporations are starting to kick and displace a lot of these immigrant and lower income residents out of the neighborhood. How did the Parkdale Free School get started? The Parkdale Free School has its roots in two other initiatives that had gotten started around 2012, 2014. The first is the Parkdale People's Economy. So that emerged out of work that was being done to look at the relationship between food security and gentrification. And a whole bunch of different service providers and community groups got together and started to think about, okay, we need a real movement for decent work, food security. They started this whole initiative that was kind of an umbrella for a lot of different working groups inside of that. Out of that initiative came the proposal that what we also really needed was a neighborhood land trust, a community land trust. So the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust got going around... 2014, it was incorporated as a nonprofit. And the whole point of the Community Land Trust was to set up an organization that can essentially take land out of the private market, safeguard it for community use. And the whole organizing structure it is meant to be involving and very inclusive of the community itself. So community members are supposed to sit on the board, make the decisions about how land gets redeveloped, how it's used. That initiative was extremely successful, had a lot of enthusiasm around it. So far, it's acquired two properties. The free school emerged out of the land trust. It was part of the Communications and Community Engagement Committee. Each year, that committee would take on a new project. And a really active local community member named David Ross proposed in a meeting in summer 2018 that the next big initiative should be a free school. I was sharing that community at that time, and of course, I was super excited at the idea, and we just ran with that possibility. We started by creating a vision and values for the school that was vetted by the larger committee and got input from all kinds of different stakeholders, and then by that November, we started classes. The local interest in it was amazing. The first class was actually when I was running, it was so successful that we actually had to do an overflow class because there's just so much interest that we couldn't fit everybody in a room. And since that, we programmed 40 free classes. So it's been a really tremendous success. Talk more about the nuts and bolts of getting the free school up and running. Luckily, because we were so closely intertwined with the land trust and actually a project of the land trust, what that allowed for was we could really bank off of their existing work with social media, with having their own existing networks to really reach an audience. So that was a huge piece that I'd seen not work in earlier free schools where so much work had to go into the outreach element. So in this case, that was a huge piece that we could just set aside that we didn't have to worry about. In terms of the vision and values itself and where that came from, I really came in with a strong anarchist focus because that was what my politics were. I literally took a lot of the text quoted from an earlier free school that I wasn't a part of called the Anarchist Free School that started in 2010, brought that same language in and just said, you know, we're inspired by this earlier model and this is what we stand for. I was expecting pushback, but people were really enthusiastic. People really thought it was a great idea. And from there, we just laid out some basic parameters. Classes should promote social, cultural, or economic diversity, land as a commons, community ownership of land, democratic struggles for social justice, 
And that was just so broad that, you know, that really allowed for a lot. The language of the school was anti-oppressive, and that was what we could keep instructors accountable to. But in terms of the classes, we just allowed things to emerge as they did. And we were really excited by just the breadth of interests and experiences and types of classes that people would bring. Then it was about setting up a work plan, trying to figure out a sense of direction in terms of the first few classes. And for that, I was able as chair of the committee to draw on a lot of my popular education facilitation work to really do some good facilitation exercises to just really map a lot of that out, figure out who had capacity for what. And I was really blessed with some great collaborators. Between us, we were just able to figure out who could be a curriculum coordinator, somebody who would actually work with a community member to develop a class, take them through all the steps of getting ready, make sure that they had the basic idea down of what they wanted to talk about. Then we had people who could help with the promotion aspects of creating posters and promotional material, and then somebody who could help get the word out to people from a lived experience perspective, just people talking to other people. And starting from August 2018 through to November, we got an initial slate of classes ready and made sure people were ready to go. I was teaching a kind of radical reading group, and we aimed for November, and the feedback we got was extremely enthusiastic. I think in that early period, there was worry about, okay, you know, are we prepared enough? Have we forgotten anything? And I think we're actually a bit overprepared, but there was worry about, okay, what if instructors don't have the right knowledge to do this? Or what if they're, what if they don't come prepared enough or something like that? You know, what if something goes wrong? And I have to say, you know, over all the classes, over 45 classes we've done now, Every single instructor has just brought such amazing energy and knowledge and lived experience and just a new perspective on their topic. And there's really been no class that I can look to to say like, oh, there was, that one was a real disappointment or that one really didn't live up to expectations. It's been a really amazing experience that way. How would you describe the general approach to teaching and learning that informs the work of the school? When we started, I think that there were really two basic parts to the educational piece. On the one hand, I was really eager to find ways to bring different social movements around Toronto and the larger Ontario region to the school and find ways to let people in Parkdale and the neighborhood land trust community and the people's economy community, let them know about what was going on in Fight for 15 or Standing Up for Racial Justice or all these different groups throughout the city and find ways to support those existing movements and create those kinds of community bonds and let people know what those initiatives were all about. And on the other hand, it was really about experiential learning and really making space for community members and people in different networks to find ways to share what they knew and just make space for that kind of really unique personal education happen. And sharing of histories, local history happened all the time. Over time, it was the latter part that really won out, that core understanding of people getting in a room. This was before covid finding out who was in the room, having somebody who brought this particular topic, and then seeing who was there and, and how people responded. And the audience would be such a big part of the educational experience in those classes. 
bringing their own lived experience, their own history of what's been going on in the neighborhood. Now, whenever a new class is actually going, I always recommend to instructors, leave a lot of time under prepare for the classes. You know, bring less material so that you make sure that you can make that experiential learning piece really come alive and learn who's in the room with you. What kinds of classes has the free school offered? In the time that we've been going, we have done classes on radical land stewardship. We've done yoga classes. There was a really amazing initiative called Road to Zero Waste that looked at food waste and how community fridges could be a way of creating new resources in the local community. The Parkdale People's Economy was doing workshops on community benefits frameworks. So that was looking at when new developments were coming into the neighborhood as gentrification increased, as the amount of capital coming in the neighborhood increased, how to ensure that the neighborhood itself benefited through decent work, through actually getting promises from the developers about affordable housing. There was a whole session on Israel-Palestine, Israel-Palestine 101, where two activists from Independent Jewish Voices really did an incredible job of laying out the entire history from before 1948 all the way to the present. There was a repair cafe that was all about the right to repair movement. So they actually invited people to bring in their own devices that were no longer working, show them how to repair them. And they did a whole presentation on fighting planned obsolescence that corporations use to basically sell more products. There was a whole association with World Beyond War, a grassroots anti-war network throughout Canada. They came in did a lot of organizing around the larger military-industrial complex, and then we actually narrowed it into looking at the air show, which every year runs over Parkdale and impacts immigrants from war-torn countries who suffer from PTSD from the air show. From my own work, I was able to bring in some friends who do work on partner assault response to do a really amazing workshop on unpacking masculinity and patriarchy. The most popular class that we ever did was actually post-COVID in association with another story bookshop, which is a social justice bookstore on Roncesvalles in Toronto. We hosted Vicki Osterweil, who is a Philadelphia-based activist, to talk about a lot of the organizing that's been going on there since COVID in terms of housing activism. We had over, I think, 100 people on the call. It was like a really incredible talk, and they were able to really go into depth about what's going on in Philadelphia. And we had people from OCAP on the call who could speak to existing housing activism going on here in Toronto. And finally, we had a researcher who was looking at local community planning in Barcelona and Bologna and how it compares to Toronto. It's really been such a wide variety of classes. One that I thought was going to be such an outlier was on Toronto's Amazing Bird Life, which I thought like, okay, like this seems to be a little bit further afield. It was somebody from the Toronto Regional Conservation Authority who talked so persuasively about the local bird life, its makeup, what actually needs to be done to actually safeguard that bird life, and what's causing a precipitous decline in the populations of birds throughout the cities. And it turned into a really amazing conversation about what people can do. So yeah, it's been such a wide range. What can you say about who the teachers or facilitators have tended to be and about who the learners or participants have tended to be? In terms of the instructors, that's been such a range. 
at the beginning of the school, as we were starting to get going, there was a real desire to really engage with South Parkdale. As I was explaining before, South Parkdale is much more immigrant heavy, a lot more ESL learners, and a lot more working class presence there. At the beginning, we really wanted to try to find ways to make the school as inclusive as possible and to really bring the South Parkdale community into the school, both as instructors and as audience members. And I have to say, over the time, it's been much more North Parkdale that's been involved. That has been both in terms of capacity to teach. You know, it does require time to be able to develop a class. It can be challenging Working class knowledge is devalued and people with that knowledge feel that it's devalued. So it can be a harder sell to convince somebody from working class background that they had a class to teach in them. That being said, we did have working class instructors and we had working class audience members. But in terms of the larger trends, what I would say is that a lot of the instructors would tend to come from either different social movements or social organizations, social service providers who are providing class. Or they would come from the networks of PARC, that's the Parkdale Activity Recreation Center, where a lot of classes were based, or they would come from the networks of the land trust themselves or the people's economy. But in terms of types of expertise, it was just really so different, such a wide variety. In terms of the audience members, again, what we found is that the audience would skew towards North Parkdale, so that's more middle-class people overrepresentation of white Torontonians. But again, there would be so many exceptions to that of people who would really come bring an incredible perspective, for instance, from a psychiatric survivor background in Parkdale, someone who would bring a immigrant working class Grenadian perspective to things, but that was so much a part of the school. So those would be the two main trends that I would talk about. Otherwise, each class and instructor would also be bringing from their own networks. How has COVID changed things for the school? COVID has changed things dramatically. For a lot of 2020, the school was really inactive. I was, and my main collaborator as well, were just thinking like, okay, Zoom calls, are people really going to be interested in this? Are people really going to want more online learning? So there were a lot of gaps in 2020 in terms of classes. And what we found in terms of virtual programming now over Zoom is that the community feel, which was so much a part of the pre-COVID experience, has shifted dramatically. So now, because how people will be hearing about things is just in a virtual way, it'll be an international audience. It doesn't take away, but it just it shifts the types of voices that you'll get on a call away from a very specific community to a much more broad national, international city community. So in light of your experience working with the Parkdale Free School, what would you say now about the relationship between this kind of grassroots pedagogical work and broader social movements and efforts to create social change? What is that relationship and what can that relationship be? A really good example of the experiential learning piece that I personally got so much out of and really just typifies what makes the preschool so special and was a really successful class. We did a session back before COVID with a member of the Catholic Workers Movement in Parkdale, Jim Loney, who actually lives in South Parkdale. The Catholic Workers Movement actually opened their house up 
and did a session in their front room talking about what the Catholic Workers' Movement was in general, the history of it. And I mean, for myself, I didn't actually know too much about the Catholic Workers' Movement in general and definitely didn't know that there was a whole group in Parkdale who'd been doing this like hardcore anarchist Catholic organizing since the 70s. But I saw people in that room who also didn't know, just suddenly make associations and see their community members. And there was a really incredible sense of, yeah, just discovery. And there were actually people making connections to different initiatives that the Catholic Workers Movement had done in the neighborhood. Like, oh, I remember that. I lived on that corner. And to see people make those connections was a really special class. And I remember that in particular being like, yes, this is exactly what this kind of educational organizing can be about. So I still remain convinced that there's just so much potential in this kind of format to bring people who aren't in social movements, who are just regular community members into different social movements. What I did learn, though, is that the issues of capacity are just really important to keep in mind. So I came in with a lot of excitement thinking like, okay, I'm going to talk to my friends in IC15. I'm going to get people from Surge. And there's going to be all these great presentations that people are going to know about all the amazing organizing that's going on in the city. And it's not that people in different movements didn't think it was a good idea or anything like that, but, you know, each organization would have their own initiatives that they're working on and their own outreach and their own supporters and doing that hard general educational piece that would be the lowest priority and it would be a hard sell to get people interested unless there was somebody who was really eager to take that on. And we did have cases of that. So I think that there are a lot of examples in the school of bringing movements and just general concepts of social justice to a community and allowing people to learn about what those are. And at the same time, learning that you have to accommodate people and understand that a lot of organizations are just super busy. And then the experiential piece more broadly has just been so affirming for myself personally. I mean, I've, I've strengthened my own ties to the Parkdale community. I've made deep and lasting friendships in Parkdale. But beyond that, I've seen so many different examples and moments where in a class, a community member will learn about this entire history that they didn't know was in their neighborhood. They would hear somebody from a positionality bring knowledge and lived experience that they'd never heard before. And just to see those community bonds get made, to see that lived experience of people learning new concepts, people coming into a deeper relationship to a sense of place and a sense of the political issues involved in a given topic. It's a very intangible value and experience. It really is hard to quantify, but having seen it dozens and dozens and dozens of times now, it's a really exciting thing to see and be a part of. You have been listening to my interview with Andrew Wincher of the Parkdale Free School. To learn more about it, go to pnlt.ca and search for Parkdale Free School. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 